0: All right. Thank you, Nate and Tori. We appreciate that. Give them a hand. We appreciate them, man. I, I hope that Nathan's testimony spoke to at least someone this morning, besides me. Amen. And especially if you've maybe you've been religious your whole life, or part of your life or whatever, but none of that matters if you've never had an encounter with Christ. If you've never been brought to the point where you realize, I am a helpless sinner, and I need a Savior, and you accept Him as your Savior. So I'm glad that Nathan shared that testimony. How many of you actually didn't know that about Nathan? Somebody didn't know that, so I appreciate him sharing that. And, um, you know, it occurred to me as we're singing that song, when it says, no mountain you won't climb up, you realize he climbed Mount Calvary with a cross on his shoulders. How am I supposed to preach, Nathan, when you do this stuff? You make it hard, man. All right. So anyway, Dinesha is going to come and read the scripture for us this morning. Welcome Dinesha as she comes. We are in the... uh, the the book of Mark, and so if you want to follow along, we're starting chapter 10, so we're actually on the downside of of our journey through the gospel of Mark, so follow along as Denisha reads for us here.
1: And he left there and went to the region of Jude, and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again and again. As was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, you wrote this commandment. He wrote I told command. you, I told you, every <laughs> single
0: Sunday, somebody stops in front of the screen. Just telling you, just throwing Linda under the bus, every single Sunday, somebody stops in front of the screen. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> and because of the hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made, made them male and female. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for for to such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Amen.
0: Just Thanks be to God for his word this morning. Amen. Good job, Denisha. <clears throat> so there were two little girls playing with their doll babies and pretending and, and uh, talk, pretending that they were going to get married, you no know, kind of stuff. And then one girl looks at the other and says, so when you grow up, are you going to get married? And she said, yes. In fact, I'm going to have 16 husbands. She's like, what? you can't have 16. Oh, yes, I can. So I went to a wedding the other day and they told me I could have 16 husbands. She's like, what? She said, yes, four richer, four poorer, four better, and four worse. (laughs) 16 husbands. So there you go. We're going to talk about marriage and divorce and a lot of things about God's original design this morning. And I will just tell you every single Sunday or every single week, I look forward to Sunday. This is like one of the highlights of my week. This right here. But not this week. I've been dreading this moment, honestly. This is probably one of the most difficult sermons because of some of the subject matter. And actually, the last time I preached on something like this, someone got up in the middle of church and walked out and never came back to our church. So, if that's you this morning, then so be it. But I am committed to preach to God's word verse by verse and not skip the hard stuff. I owe that to you, we owe that to one another as a church. Every Sunday is not going to be your best life now and just some motivational sermon to make you feel good about yourself. We're going to go through the Word of God, and we're going to get chips broken off our shoulders. We're going to have God work on the hard stuff. So God establishes in the beginning three most important relationships. Okay, He did not establish government right off the bat. Which it tells you what he thinks about that. Okay, he didn't establish schools, he didn't establish a lot of things. But there's three things he established right off the bat from day one, and these are the priority as he's established them first. First of all, the question we have to ask ourselves though is why did God create a man by himself and not a couple? He could have created Adam and Eve at the same time, could he not? He could have created a woman first, a man second. But he created a man first by himself for a reason. And that reason is um, that the, f- the first and most important relationship is between a person and God. And when I use the word man here, I don't mean gender man. I mean a mankind. Between a person and God. That is more important than just a couple having a relationship with God, which you're, you as a married couple should have a relationship together with God. But your individual relationship with God is first and foremost. Because you will not be married your whole life. There's a big part of your life at the beginning you're not married. There's even a part at the end of your life where you may not be married. So your personal relationship with God is what matters most. That's what God created Adam by himself first. Then he creates the second most important relationship on the planet. And that is the marriage between a husband and wife. God didn't create a whole group of people. He didn't create polygamy. He created one man for one woman for one lifetime. This is the way it is, and this is what Jesus quotes from when he's talking about Genesis. The third relationship that he creates is the relationship between family members. So you see God's priorities here. Your relationship with God matters more than anything. Your relationship with your spouse comes second. Your relationship with your kids and kids to the parents comes third. Some people are surprised that I say that, but let me tell you something. The best thing I can do For Isaiah and Caitlin is to love Tammy with all my heart. And when they see that, that she matters more than them, that's the way they will grow up and be dedicated to that, okay? Now, I love them all, okay? But after they're grown and gone and starting families of their own, Tammy's still stuck with me. And I still have to love Tammy. And that relationship has to endure. But these three things right here are under attack. Worse than we've ever seen in our lives. These three things are being, there is a total full-front satanic assault on these three relationships, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 1, that Dinesh just read, that that Jesus left there. And where did he leave? He left Galilee. And if you put together the full chronology, Galilee was his main area of ministry. He performed more miracles in that area. Capernaum was his hometown. He's in that Galilee, the region of Galilee, and he is leaving there for good. He will not come back to these people, his hometown, people who love them, where he performed the most miracles, things like that. He is leaving that because after this, he, after about six months of ministry in Judea, he will go to Jerusalem and to die. So this is like a farewell and people don't realize it, but Jesus knows, okay? And it says he went to the region of Judea and beyond Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. So this is a trend. Jesus is drawing crowds more and more. And as was his custom, what did he do? He taught them. Jesus did not waste opportunities to teach. We should be that way. You say, well, Gary, I'm not a teacher. Well, yes, we all are to some degree or another. We are all supposed to be speaking God's word one to another. That's what we were doing this morning. We were singing. Colossians 3 says, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, teaching one another. We're actually teaching one another when we sing doctrinally sound songs. So he taught them And you'll see in Mark, the first half was miracles, miracles, miracles with teaching. The second half, it's teaching, teaching, teaching. And you see the miracles passing away because that's the the priority. Miracles were just to set up who he was to establish. Just like Moses did miracles to show Pharaoh, hey, I I am representing God. Elijah did call down fire from heaven to say, I do represent God. But that only gives you a platform to stand on to teach the word of God. Some ministries are all obsessed about miracles, miracles, miracles. Like, But what for? To what? To establish what? You need to be able to teach the Word of God because the teaching is the priority in understanding God's Word. So the Pharisees came up in order to do what to Him? What do they want to do? Test Him. Have you ever met someone who is asking questions about Christianity? Asking questions about the Bible? Asking questions about Jesus, but they really don't want to hear the answer? They're asking just to test you. They're trying to trip you up. And you see that more and more today where people are poking at Christianity not to see if it's true, but in order to hopefully prove that it's false. But good luck with that. So they ask him this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Matthew adds a little more detail because Matthew's 28 chapters versus Mark being just 16. Matthew says, is it it lawful to add to, to a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Because that's pretty much what's happening in this day, which was so ironic. The Pharisees were so strict. I mean, they weighed out everything to tithe, and they dressed a certain way, and they didn't touch certain things, but they could divorce their wife like that. Boom. And it was like, the hypocrisy was just off the charts crazy. And so they're asking this question because they really don't want to know there's a big strategy involved. They're trying to get Jesus in big trouble. They're not only trying to trip him up and make him look bad, but they're actually trying to cost him his life, as you'll see here in just a second. So let me tell you the backstory behind this test here. At this time, and actually the Chosen bears this out really well if you're following that at all, uh, there was two schools of thought amongst the rabbis. There was one predominant leader named Hillel and uh, he was dead at the time, but his teaching was still very pervasive. And then there was Shammai. And Hillel was basically the one who taught that, yeah, if your wife literally burns the toast, you could divorce her. And the, the, the rabbinical writing said, if your wife twirled in her dress to where that men could see her ankles, you could divorce her. If a woman was even talking to a man in an, in a in a public way. You could divorce her. It was just like anything goes and it was divorce. And of course the school of Shammai was more conservative than that and they were saying no you can't for any reason except for adultery. So also what's so what he's trying to do is what they're trying to do is pit Jesus against the rabbis. So if the crowd follow Hillel and Jesus gives an answer against that then he loses half the crowd probably more. Because, again, the Hillel was more prominent, more popular. If he goes against one other school, the Shammai school of thought, then he loses those people. So they're trying to divide and conquer. But more importantly, I think this is what's going on. Where this conversation is happening is right under Herod's nose. And who did Herod just kill recently? John the Baptist. And what topic did Herod kill John the Baptist over? Divorce and remarriage. Because Herod had taken his brother's wife, who was, by the way, their niece, whackadoodle soap opera here, and they, he marries her, and John the Baptist said, man, you can't commit that kind of open adultery for all the public. You're supposed to be a leader, an example to the community, and here you are doing that. You call him out to his face, and what was funny is Herod really didn't have a problem with it. He, liked he actually liked John the Baptist and would bring him in to teach to him. It was Herod's wife and another daughter that got him in trouble and got his head cut off. So they're thinking, hey... If Jesus gives the wrong answer about a divorce, maybe the same thing that happened to John the Baptist will happen to Jesus. Do you see what's happening here? They're trying to actually throw Jesus under the bus to where he will it will cost him his life. So he, Jesus answers them and says, Well, what did Moses command you? You guys are such big fans of Moses. Why don't you tell me what Moses said? See, you ever notice how Jesus always answers a question with what? A question. He's really good at that. It's a good habit to follow. They said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce. And that's true. He only allowed it, but why did he allow it? He didn't, in fact, some Pharisees were saying Moses commanded that you have to divorce. No, it wasn't a a commandment in that sense. And then the word, the Bible will use the word commandment of Moses in another sense of meaning it's a scripture that he wrote, but he's not saying you have to do this. So even if you have grounds for divorce, you don't have to because where there's grounds for divorce, there's also grounds for forgiveness. So I never counsel people when there's adultery that you have to get a divorce. Moses wasn't saying that. He's saying you're allowed to, and in some cases you need to, but there's never a commandment that you must. In fact, many rabbis were teaching, if your wife would not give you children, you must divorce her, which Moses never commanded that. Anyway, and then he talked about a certificate of divorce. It was something that was a legal document, which shows that marriage from the beginning, and, and throughout history, is a legal contract. And people often say, well, I don't need a piece of paper to prove that I love someone. No, you don't. It's not about, if you ever notice the wedding vows, don't say, I love you. It's, I promise to love you. I promise to stay with you. In the future, in sickness, and in health, for richer, for poorer, in good times, and bad, it's a promise of the future. And yes, it is a legal contract. Now, some people would bring up the issue, um, so should the government be involved in marriage? And I really don't know the answer to that. I kind of lean towards the libertarian in me that I wish the government would just stay out of marriage. I wish it would just be a religious ceremony, and it would be a public covenant. It would still be a legal contract, okay? But like any other legal contract you make, the government has to pass the laws on. That's why we wouldn't even have this whole issue of gay marriage, because if the government wasn't involved, we wouldn't recognize it. So anyway, that's a whole other subject. Um, in Matthew, talking about this same story, he says to them, so you didn't, have you, you religious scholars who are all know-it-alls about the Bible, have you not read page one? Didn't you even read the very beginning that he created them from the beginning? He made them male and female. Notice he didn't say he made them two people. This is super important. And I'm speaking especially to those who are 22 and younger. You need to get this in, okay? Teenagers, you need to get this. Your culture is screaming to you the opposite. Disney is screaming to you the opposite of what I'm teaching here this morning. But we're going to go with God and not with Mickey Mouse, okay? He created a male and female, God created them distinctly different. And. There are biased scientists today who will try to tell you there's really no difference between us, just genitalia, minor differences, and that girls act like girls only because of social constructs that force them to act that way, and boys act the way like boys act because of social constructs that act that. And the truth is nothing, even close to that. They've done all kinds of experiments on children who have never seen a car or a truck or a doll baby kids in, in Africa or wherever, and they will get, lay out the toys and the boys pick up the cars and go rum, 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 and the girls start playing with the dolls. And they've even done it where they've tried to force the girls to play with the cars and the trucks. And you know what the girls do with the trucks? They go, how are you today? I'm fine today. And they start talking to each other where the boys are going and, and crashing them into each other. Boys are boys and girls are bo- girls and we're totally different. Don't let the world try to tell you that we're just the same and you could have accidentally, and there's a whole spectrum no, there are two genders. In fact, that whole even that vocabulary is not exactly accurate. There are two sexes. Gender is a whole other word, and we'll talk about when that changed. Remember, it used to be when you filled out forms, it said, what sex are you? Today it says, what gender are you? And there's a, a subtle uh, political scheme there going on. But they, men and women are very different. Do not buy the whole... There are two genders. Everybody tell me there are two genders. There are two genders. He created a male and female, very distinct, very beautiful he got, he experimented on man, and then he perfected it with the woman, right? Amen? Okay, verse 5, it says, and therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. That cannot happen in the way God designed it with men and men or women and women. They cannot become one flesh and the one flesh means more than just the sexual union. It means more than just the marriage. It means more than just the spiritual union. It also means those two will produce one more flesh. Men and men cannot produce that one other flesh, which is also included in the whole thing. Women and women cannot produce separately. They can do all kinds of scientific things, one experiment, but they cannot beat God's design. It's incredibly beautiful and the attack On what our culture is doing is an attack on Genesis and what what Jesus originally has taught us. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, therefore the marriage, the institution of marriage that God joined together, don't let man separate. King James version says asunder. Um, Some other translations say you know to destroy. And what is our culture trying to do today? They're trying to destroy marriage. You see, Satan is so subtle. What he would, people would get married, and once they got married, he'd try to destroy their marriage through divorce. But now he's working to where he's destroying things before they could even get married. You see how he's now, he's working on both sides of it. He's trying to destroy marriage before it could even get started. So, should we use you using the word gender or sex? We used, for a hundred years, we used the word sex in this country in legal documents. You would put out male or female. The word gender, let me tell you the true story that CNN or none of them are going to tell you. The guy in the middle is Dr. John Money. Interesting name. He was a psychologist and sexologist in the 1960s. In 1965, twins were born, David and Bruce Reimer. I guarantee you will not hear this story, but you can Google it and you can check all the details on that. They both had a condition that, ex- that they were born with that affected their privacies, okay? And so the, one of the boys, though, went, the, the circumcision was botched, totally botched, destroying the, the, his manhood. And so this, the parents went to Dr. Money and asked him, what should we do? And he said, because gender is fluid, all you have to do is change his parts and give him hormones and raise him as a girl. Because, there, he said, because the idea of being acting like a boy or acting like a girl is totally a social construct. If you tell him he's a girl and you raise him as a girl, he'll be fine. Nothing was further from the truth. They never told uh, Bruce that he was born a boy, and they were raised this way. And this psychologist pervert started doing counseling with them, and he'd have them take off their clothes and inspect each other's privacies, and replicate sexual positions, and do sexual things with each other, these two brothers. And for some reason, because of his research, he took pictures of all this, and no one was in the office but him and the two boys. Does this sound really good to you? Would you trust this psychologist? The boys got to the age where they said, they pleaded with their mom and dad, please don't make us go see him. Please don't make us come see him. One of them even said, if you make me go see him again, I'm going to kill myself. And sure enough, suicides were attempted. But the parents kept taking them to this guy. And the whole time, the, the one boy, Bruce, who was changed into a girl, was being made fun of in school because he acted like a boy. He was a boy. The social constructs had no impact on him. Inside, his DNA, his chromosomes still screamed, X, Y. Because he was a boy, this is where all this gender stuff has come from, people. This whole you know, I'm I'm a mix, I'm a Miz, I'm a I'm a Z, I'm a whatever. It's garbage. It is a lie from hell, and it is destroying young people, people in their twenties and thirties. Whatever, mess up people's minds. And I've given this analogy before, but we all know what dyslexia is. I'm mean, not dyslexia. Um, um. Say it again. No, there's gender um, dysphoria, but when a girl won't feed herself, anorexia, Anorexia. sorry, I couldn't get to the words, anorexia, anorexia, a girl looks in the mirror, and what does she see? She sees a fat girl, even though she's like 96 pounds soaking wet, and so what does she do? She sees a fat girl, she sees a little bit here, and she starts starving herself and starving herself, and she's just showing bone and everything, and she is literally dying in front of her eyes, because she identifies as a fat girl. Are we going to affirm her identifying as a fat girl, or are we going to help her see reality that, no, you're a girl who's about to die because you won't feed it yourself? We are affirming in people the very thing that is killing them. It is not good for anybody in this situation. It is a total lie. So the one who was raised a boy went on to be married, and, but he still struggled with this whole thing. And eventually he died of an overdose from the depression pills he was taking. And two days later, his twin shot himself. This is the gender revolution that we're going through. This is where it started. They didn't tell you that on CNN, did they? Just do the research. This, this is the kind of stuff that just makes you ill that, that this pervert taught that there is no difference between male and female. God says there is. God says there is. Anybody in this room who's married can tell you there's a major difference between men and women, right? it's where we are so different. We think different. We talk different. We act different. And guess what? That's perfect because our opposites can sometimes cause us to clash. But if we will submit to one another, it all fits together beautifully. And and, and it's it's a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ as I'll get into a little bit more. He created them male and female. So, There there was two biologists, Dr. Colin M. Wright and Dr. Emma N. Hilton, and they wrote a paper that, again, it's not very popular. It's it's basically suppressed in the news, and I don't like to read long quotes, but this is important. They said this, in human reproductive anatomy is unambiguously male or female at birth more than 99.98% of the time. There are some people who are born with defects. It's a defect, it's not just something on the spectrum of normal, it's a defect. But look at what percentage it is. Two tenths of of a, two one hundredths of, of a one percent. So it's extremely rare. Humans, just like animals and plants, have two distinct biological sexes. Not three, not 19, not 26. There are only two sexes with the corresponding anatomy for reproduction no third type of sex cell exists in humans and therefore there's no sex spectrum or additional sexes beyond male and female sex is binary so when people say they're non-binary they're non-science forget the bible just look under a microscope you will see x and y you will not see a z you will not see a w you'll not see uh, any other letters or anything like that you see two chromosomes in all human beings the time for politeness on this issue has passed Biologists and medical professionals need to stand up for the empirical reality of biological sex. When authoritative scientific institutions ignore or deny empirical fact in the name of social accommodation, it is an egregious betrayal to the scientific community that they represent. It undermines public trust in science and it is dangerously harmful to the most vulnerable. And who's the most vulnerable? Kids. Disney wants your kids, kindergarten to third grade, to be hearing about that they can be a boy if they're, a, even if they're a girl, they can be a boy if they want to. They want to push all that stuff. Then Disney, Disney's hidden agenda has come out. They've been caught in their Zoom conference calls being broadcast saying that they're going to be, from now on, you're going to see a gay or trans character in every Disney movie. So you better need to watch carefully what your kids are seeing. Um, it's, it's harmful. The Bible makes it very clear, God created us with X and Y. X and Y, there are no multiple genders. It's, it's not, forget the Bible if you want. It's science, people. It's just science. Romans 1:18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by unrighteousness, watch this, suppress the truth. That, that, this story I just read to you about Dr. John Money and these twins, they are suppressing that. They will not report that whatsoever because it's not, it's not, doesn't fit their sexual desires, okay? You, you've seen recently about Leah Thomas winning a women's uh, college athletic, coming first place. And they're like, oh, no, no, there's no problem with it. There's no problem. She had no advantage. His arms were longer, his shoulders were longer, his legs were longer, his thighs were longer. Every piece of anatomy about him had a physical advantage. And if they think that, that there was no fair advantage, why did they Photoshop the picture? There's the real Leah Thomas on the left. M- NBC Photoshopped the picture to make her look female. Why do they have to do it? If, 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 if Oh, she's a girl. She's a girl. Why are you Photoshopping pictures then? Because you are suppressing the truth. It's about who you want to sleep with. It's not about science. It's about whatever perverted act you want to do. It's not about the truth. You guys will fight to suppress the truth. You'll Photoshop pictures. You won't tell us the real story. You won't tell us real science. You'll just do whatever is convenient for you. Romans chapter 1 goes on to say, and I'm going to read a lot of verses in Romans chapter 1 because it, it's better than... Paul's commentary and sermon on this is better than what I could preach to you this morning. He said, for what can be known about God is plain. People say, I'm not sure if there's a God. Open your eyes. Look at the stars. Watch the sun come up in the morning. It's plain. People who are having a hard time with this is because they want to not believe there's a God. Because God has shown it to them. It goes on to say, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Nature screams that there's a God and he's a good God. He's a wise and powerful God. It's out there if you'll just open your eyes. Ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made, So God created a beautiful creation to to reflect his beauty. So they are without excuse. Anyone who dies without Jesus Christ and stands before the great white throne of judgment and says, "I, I have a really good excuse, God. He's going, no, you did not. You did not. None of us do. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They know that there's a God. Little kids have to be indoctrinated to be atheists. They're not born atheists. They have to become that way. But they choose not to honor him as God because they want want to be God or give thanks to him. But they they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Oh, science, science, science. We've evolved past all that. We we know better than all this. Uh, How many of you saw the big smack on the Oscars? I didn't watch the Oscars, but um, you've seen the thing, okay? So um, Chris Rock made a joke about um, Will Smith's uh, wife and her lack of hair, which is supposedly caused by some condition. He made a joke about G.I. Jane. So Will Smith goes up on stage and just smacks him right in the face. Okay. And uh, Will Smith, though, doesn't care how many men sleep with his wife because they have an open marriage. But don't make a joke about my wife's hair. And Will Smith said this. He said, we've evolved past monogamy. Do you, do you understand what he's saying to everybody in this room? Because you're a monogamous, you haven't really evolved. He's more advanced than you are. Because, he's a, because they have an open marriage. Yeah, that's working out really well. And so Chris Rock woke, woke up the next morning with a fresh prince on his face. <laughs> you know what this is? this is? This is arrogance, though. This is arrogance. We've got 8,000 years... I'll let that joke sink in. Okay. we got 8,000 years of men and women making marriage. Men and women making marriage. And now all of a sudden we got a bunch of millennials who can't even hold out a job who are going to tell us, oh no, I'm whatever gender I want to be. Look at my purple hair. I'm not a boy. I'm a girl. You're arrogant. I'll just say it like it is. You're full of pride. You want to sleep with whoever you want, however you want, and therefore you're going to ignore science and you're going to ignore the God who created science. And you say, Gary, you sound really a- angry. Yes, I am. And, and I, I wrestle with it because I, I try not to be, and I think I'm not angry with those people because they're blind, as I once was. But I'm angry when you attack something beautiful that God created. That's what I'm angry about. And I'm angry about because it, it attacks what I love most, and that's the gospel of Christ. That if someone who did nothing wrong would allow himself to be crucified and killed, So that he can gather together a bride for himself. And he could be the bridegroom. And they could have a union that creates and gives new life. Which is what sexuality is all supposed to represent. When you attack my Jesus and he went through all that on the cross for me. Yes, I'm mad about it. And yes, I do think that I am mad. It's the Satan who is blinding your eyes that you actually think this. You're going to tell all these religions of the world—Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Islam—oh, you are all wrong. We're right. Us twenty-somethings, we know more than you do. It's just—it's just arrogance, is what it really is. And and you have to call sin sin. You need to repent of your arrogance, humble yourself, and receive Christ as your Savior. Therefore, God, this is back to Romans chapter 1, gave them up in their lusts, in their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies. And we used to only apply that to dishonor the body because of what they did immorally with homosexuality. How much more now are we dishonoring bodies by mutilating them? How many nurses do we have in the room? Okay. What is the first principle of the Hippocratic oath? Do no harm. And right off the bat, we are harming these people. Don't think that sex uh, assignment, they, they went from sex change to sex assignment. Notice they keep changing the words, it's just like in seventh grade. Oh, that's wicked. Oh, that's rad. That's cool. Oh, we don't say that word anymore. This month, it's a new word. It's like the vocabulary keeps changing to see who knows what the latest cool word is. And they keep changing the words because like, no, that really is my sex. I'm just making my body match my real sex. No, you're, you're, you're changing your sexuality. And, and really, you're not. You're just mutilating your body to where it is a very poor imitation of what that gender should look like. It's not even close to even being normal. They're dishonoring their bodies in all new ways among themselves because they exchange the truth of God for what? Yeah. It's a lie. It's a lie. And, and a lie comes from somewhere. A lie always comes from a liar, and the liar is Satan. And he's got a whole generation of people who are believing this lie, but they're going along willingly. And what they're doing is they're worshiping and they're serving the creature. We're the creature. Look at me, I'm going to worship myself rather than the God who created me, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. You See, when a man and a woman love each other in an intimate way, they are honoring one another. When, they, when these people do what they're doing, they're dishonoring one another. They're using one another. I'm not saying they can't even have real feelings of love for one another, but the activity they're doing does not honor them and one another, and definitely does not honor God. For their wo- and some people say, the Bible's not homosexuality. That's all Old Testament stuff. This is New Testament, people. Those of you who go to Pearland High School, Dawson High School, Turner High School, or you're in college or U of H, listen carefully. This is New Testament, okay? For their woman, ex- the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to what? Not to the Bible. To nature. It doesn't even, it's not even natural. You could be an atheist and just look at nature and say something is not right about this. And the men, likewise, gave up up their natural relations with women, that's what God made natural, and consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving, look at this, in themselves the due penalty of their error. How do they pay for it? That lifestyle will destroy your body. What doctors will not tell you is that homosexual men suffer for more diseases than probably any other group of people in America. The, the, the intestinal, the, and you can just get in all kinds of things about what it gets into, what, and how it harms their body. It is not even, if there was not a God, not a Bible, I would tell people, please don't do this. It's bad for your physical health. It's bad for your mental health. So this is more than a political or a social issue. This is not about red states versus blue states. It's not Democrat versus Republican. Not liberal versus, not liberal versus conservative, although they seem to take sides on this. It's way more than that. And it's way more than just a social issue. This is more than an attack on marriage and the family. It is an attack on marriage and family, but it's way more than that. This is more than an, atta- than an attack on science and common sense. Science and common sense is, is being thrown under the bus right now and being suppressed this is more than an attack on even on our Christian values. I'm not just defending this because I'm a Christian and I'm against this. I'm saying it's against all these things. This is an attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what it's an attack on. This is, see, what all these, what everybody in America needs, what everybody around the world needs, they need to be, they need to realize, I am a sinner. I need a savior. I deserve hell. But Jesus died for me. I need to trust him. And Satan knows that's the most important message that the world needs to hear. And this is an attack on that. Because Jesus created a man and a woman. The man to represent Jesus. The woman to represent his beautiful church. And that when a man comes into a woman and she opens herself up to him and receives him into her physically, metaphorically, spiritually, the seed is planted and life begins. That's the gospel. I'm not trying to be too graphic here. I'm just telling you what God created. And if we can destroy that picture, then we, we, we destroy the people's perception of the gospel. So Jesus said then, because of the hardness of your heart, you, this, he wrote you this commandment. Moses didn't say, oh, from the beginning there's 11 commandments, you know, don't commit adultery, but commandment 11, if you do, here's, you must get divorced. He's like, you guys are going to, since you're going to do it anyway, since your hearts are so hard and you're going to do it anyway, at least, please, if you're going to get divorced, do it for at least this reason. And that's for porneia or for uncleanness. So we'll talk about that more in a minute. He said, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He keeps repeating this over and over again. And this is Jesus quoting him. So people say, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Just because he didn't say, don't do this, he made it very clear what you should do, and anything else is wrong. He said, marriage is a male and a female. Period. So how can you say he didn't say them about homosexuality? He, in the positive, he affirmed what the negative is by making it very clear. And by the way, he never undid anything the Old Testament said about the subject either. He says, therefore, Jesus is talking here, shall his father, he shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The word here literally means like glued, glued together. And have, you, have anybody ever accidentally glued fingers together with super glue, I have. Okay, fortunately, I didn't do it very long, but I peeled away, and there was some skin tear. I didn't really bleed, but some people have gone to the emergency room with that, and it's it's a painful process. And that's what divorce is. It's a it's a painful process. It says, and the two shall become one flesh, that so they are no longer two but one. A man and a woman joined together, literally glued together. And imagine if your hands actually were glued together for a day. Imagine how much work it would take to get dressed, <laughs> you know, and how much work it would take. But you know, I think the picture there is marriage is work. And when marriage is, is torn apart, it hurts those two people and everyone else around them. So they went in the house. And it's interesting, the disciples waited until they went in the house. They didn't want to have this conversation in front of the Pharisees. Good for them. They're not trying to make matters worse. They're not trying to cost Jesus his life, okay? But they thought, well, hey, once we're in here, shut the door. Let's ask Jesus about this further. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Now, the implication here, if you read Matthew, who expands on it, if he marries his wife and divor- he divorces his wife for, uh, uh, for an unbiblical reason, like the Pharisees were all doing, then yes, by remarrying another, committing again the act of adultery in that situation. And it says, and if she, what's interesting is they didn't say anything about women having the rights of divorce. Jesus actually elevates the woman, but holds her to the same responsibility here because they weren't even talking about what women could do, but Jesus is saying, no, it applies to women too. Women also can get divorced for biblical reasons, but also women need to also not get divorced for unbiblical reasons. And so either way, if you divorce, because, hey, you know what, I don't like you anymore, go marry another, you, God still recognizes this original marriage, and then you've committed adultery in that. Now, this brings up the really difficult subject of what some people call perpetual adultery. I do not believe in perpetual adultery, okay? So let's say that Joe and Sally are married. Sally meets Bob. Sorry, Bob. You're not in church. That's what you get. Okay. She meets Bob and she has an affair with Bob and she leaves Joe and marries Bob. That's an adulterous act right there. But now that they are married, it doesn't mean that every time they come home to each other that they're committing adultery over and over and over again. I do not believe that. Some people teach that. Okay. I believe it's a sin that needs to be repented of and a need to ask for forgiveness, and God forgives it. And here's why it based on is it. It's not my own personal preference. We can't, we can't develop theology on our own personal preference. There was a, a Southern Baptist pastor in California who preached against homosexuality, like the Bible says, for years and years and years. Then when he found out his 21-year-old son was homosexual, he decided to change his view on homosexuality. You can't do that. Okay? You can't change your views on divorce just because you've been divorced or because your daughter got divorced or whatever. Okay? Here's what I base it on. And there's several things, but one of, the, one of the ones that screams the loudest is the woman at the well. He said, go and get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He said, yes, you're exactly right. He said, in fact, you've had five. He recognizes all the four after the original one. And then he says, and the man you're living with is not your husband. Living together does not make you married, not make you married. So Jesus knocks down two things at once. He he blows away the whole idea of common law marriage, but he also blows away the idea that if you get divorced, remarried, divorced, remarried, he counted each one of them as a marriage. And nowhere in scripture, Old Testament or New, Jesus or Paul or Moses, does he ever say, hey, divorce this person so you can go back to your original marriage. In fact, Deuteronomy forbids it. It says if you leave someone and marry another, you, if you divorce that person too, you cannot go back to the original. Why is that? Because you can't use marriage as an experiment. Well, I don't know if I like this person or not, so I'm going to try someone else, but if it doesn't work out, I'm going to go back to her. Moses says, uh-uh, you're not doing that. We're not treating people like, like trash like that so he recognizes every subsequent marriage even if the first one divorce or second divorce was unbiblical once you do get married you're in it and you're commanded to stay in it is that clear okay i hope so again it it's it's an awkward topic for many i i think there's two extremes one is hey You know, if you're not happy, your needs aren't being met, just go get married and churches look the other, go get remarried and churches look the other way. We don't want to be that. We also don't believe in perpetual adultery that everybody in this room who's divorced, which includes me, uh, God can't use you anymore. You're worthless. You're trash. No, we don't believe that either, okay? If you've, I don't care how many divorces you have behind you, whether biblical or unbiblical, you're married now, if you're married now, be as the best husband and wife you can be in that marriage. That's what God expects for you in that situation. Matthew 19 goes on to say, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality. Mark doesn't include the exception clause, because Mark is very succinct and to the point. It's just assumed in this situation, but Matthew gives more detail. And so the word here is sexual immorality. Notice it's not adultery. A lot of people will say adultery, but he could have used the word adultery. There is a Greek word for adultery, and he didn't use it. Okay, he used the word porneia. He used the word porneia which we know exactly where that word, what that, there's a lot of English words we have from that. So what are the biblical grounds for divorce? Number one is adultery, but it wasn't implied in this passage because there was already a punishment for adultery. What was it? It was stoning, okay? So that's not, it is a biblical ground. Now today we don't live under Levitical law, So don't pick up stones, anybody, and try to stone somebody, okay? You may feel like doing that, but obviously in today's context, in the New Testament, Paul and Jesus said, you know, if your spouse commits adultery or any type of pornea, which was separate, we'll talk about in a second, you have grounds for divorce. But again, you also have grounds for forgiveness. It depends. It really depends. Um, Number two, pornea. This is a some type of unclean act. We don't exactly know what it is. I think Jesus leaves it vague on purpose. I would say, let me give you some examples of fallness. Let's just say uh, you found your spouse doing something inappropriate with a child. Maybe it wasn't intercourse, so it wouldn't be grounds for adultery, but it definitely would be something you'd say, uh, this marriage is over, and I would be all for you like that. I, I think if you got a child predator in your home, the chances of rehabilitation are probably less than 1%. That's, just, that's not my opinion. That's statistically speaking. I think you have grounds for divorce. I think you, you've got habitual pornography in the home, you've got grounds for divorce. I'm not saying if your spouse slips up once in a while, whatever, you can't forgive, you need to forgive, work through that process with them. But if you've got someone who won't quit, who justifies it, and who's bringing all kinds of filth into your home, you've got grounds. You've got another reason here, abandonment. First Corinthians 7 says, if you're married to an unbeliever and they leave and say, I don't want nothing with this Jesus freak, I'm out of here. Paul says you're free. And I don't think free just means free from them. It means free to remarry. Okay? So I think you have biblical grounds for divorce when you are abandoned. And then here's the one that's difficult. And I put asterisks by this because this is my opinion. Everybody hear me? This is my opinion. Okay? The Bible says nothing about physical abuse. Okay? As far as grounds of divorce. I have theories and opinions on why that is. I think because back in those days when, you know, the elders of the village kind of ran things... If if, uh, if if a man was be, if, if if a woman showed up with a black eye, and they she, they said what happened to you, my husband, I think the husband would have a whole lot of black eyes. <laughs> I think they would have taken care of business. I don't. I think it, it was a problem that took care of itself. I probably. I think it was probably extremely rare. It seems to be an, almost an American thing as far as the type of abuse we see. But anyway, I'm not saying other cultures don't. All I'm saying is. There are some churches, if a wife comes to the pastor and says, My husband is beating me, and he's beating the kids, he gets drunk, he abuses me and beats me, and this has been going on for years, there's pastors who say, Well, you just have to submit, and you just have to love him and pray he gets saved. I'm not that pastor. I'm like, Here's what I would recommend it's not all or nothing, it's not stay in the house or get divorced. What about separation? What about I'm packing the bags, I am moving in with my family. When you find Jesus and you get cleaned up and sober, I might move back. Where's the divorce in that? I don't have to counsel for divorce. I can counsel separation and just get, you physically get yourself out of the house now. I don't want to do a funeral for you. I counsel women, get out of the house now. Tell him when he gets his act together, you might come home. And might, you know, because he may never get his act together. Anyway, when they... It says, and then they were bringing children to him. And the word children here means toddlers, because there's different words. There's infant. In the Greek, there's a word for infant. There's a word for toddler. There's a word for child in other sense. This is the word that's like the in-between one. This is like two to four-year-olds. And it's kind of backed up by the fact that Jesus picks them up. So it says to him, and he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Who would you guess is the them? Is he rebuking the people who are bringing the children, or is he rebuking the children? Or are the disciples rebuking the children? I looked at I used to, For years, I thought he was rebuking the people who were bringing the children. But if you read it carefully, it, it says that when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come. I think the disciples were that big of jerks. They were actually telling the kids, hey, get away, kids. Get away, kids. And they were rebuking the kids. Wow. And of course, Jesus gets indignant. You should. There's a time. We, the Bible doesn't teach that anger is a sin, does it? No. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians, be angry and sin not. So it's possible to be angry. When Jesus tipped over the tables, he wasn't like, oh, excuse me. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) You know, pardon me if that table hit you. He was angry and Jesus did not sin. And let me tell you something. When you do stuff against children, you should be angry. When people are mistreating children, and, and we see this all over our country. You know, the whole Epstein thing, is being suppressed in the news because most of the people reporting news were involved with Epstein. That's why you won't hear about it. There are little girls being kidnapped, taken to Epstein's island, and politicians like Bill Clinton and all that were going to those places, abusing little girls, and the media will not even cover it. They will not, there's pictures of this stuff. And, and they will not even talk about it. And there's politicians on both the right and the left who have been involved in that. There's people in the media that's been involved with that. And the reason they don't talk about it is because they were, in this, they were involved in it. And the reason, the reason that in America, we're not just, why are we talking about the price of oil and gas and economy? Why are we not talking about boys and girls being kidnapped and being raped? Why are we not talking about this? It's because the people that are covering supposed to be reporting to are involved in it. I don't know that all of them are. I'm just saying enough of them are that it's like hush hush. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about this. Let's talk about the economy, stupid. Let's just talk about those things. Jesus cares about little children. He says, let them come to me. He said, don't hinder them. And God forbid that we as a church do anything to slow any kid down from coming to Jesus. I'm glad that nobody got upset that Paul Ryan was dancing around up here front. That was awesome, okay? And and, and, you know, there's churches like, oh, he, they shouldn't be doing that. Don't they they're, they're, they're disrupting my worship of God? I think he was worshiping God. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just say, let the kids be the kids. I'm not saying no discipline, but we need to not do, not do anything in the, that stand in the way of every, any child ever coming to Christ. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does that mean to receive the kingdom like a child. Man, there's there's probably way more that I can cover, but let's just talk about a few. Number one, children are humble. Children realize they're helpless. When Carter falls down and skins his knee, he doesn't say, I'm a big boy, I can handle it. Well, he may now, but I don't know. But he will run to mom and dad and want a big hug and fix a bobo and kiss a bobo and put a band-aid on it. Totally humble, asking for help. The opposite of humility is pride where you don't need help. I've got this. I can handle this. I think another thing that receiving a child means, receiving like a child means with dependency. Children know that they're dependent on you. They ask for help most of the time. They want, they know that they can't survive without you. They don't have a place to stay. And, and at, just like a child just falling asleep on his daddy's arms, just putting his head down and dad's got him. That's the way we come to our heavenly father to be saved. If we realize we are nothing without him and just in his arms and totally with submission. Yes, dad, what do you want me to do? I will listen to my father. I am your child. I will listen and I will obey. He says he took these children in his arms and he blessed them and he laid hands on them. You know what we're, you know what we're due for in the next month? Another child dedication. You know, we haven't done one of those in a while because of the pandemic and things like that. But we got a lot of babies around here who need to be dedicated and the parents dedicate them. And when we, if you've ever, how many of you have been to a child dedication here? And we, we lay our hands on them and we bless them, not just me, anybody. We just pray for them and we bless them. And it's a beautiful thing. It does not guarantee their salvation. It's more praying for the parents that they raise them in the, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I've shared this stat before, but I just want to keep repeat, beating the drum ages 4 to 14 is when 85% of people who come to Christ do so in those ages. So that's why I'm excited about our children's ministry. I'm excited about Vacation Bible School. I'm excited about the good things that are going to happen. I want to see kids saved. We're, we're due for baptisms, amen? And we can baptize adults too, but I want to see, I want to see the baptism waters of children and adults. Um, I saw this, this stat recently. I thought it was fascinating. You know, a lot of kids grow up in church, they go off to Texas A&M or University of Texas or wherever, and they totally walk away from church. That's because at college, they have access to alcohol, sex, and party and the lifestyle. And it's like, huh, what my parents taught me and what my friends want me to do. Hmm, I'll conveniently become an atheist and go do what my friends want me to do. So 75% of kids walk away from Christianity. But let's talk about why 25% stay. That's the more important thing. We want our kids to be in the 25%, Amen. So we want them connected with Christ from 18 to 29. This is what the stats say. Number one, and I'll read it to you if it's too small. I couldn't get it any bigger. So number one statistic that families that ate dinner together five out of seven nights a week, their kids stayed in church. Okay, not the drive-thru, not just all that stuff, but sit down at the dinner table and look at each other. Number two, biggest statistic. They served with their family in ministry. So Sam and Seth rolling out carpets was good for you. Okay? You did, that, you did that as a family. Number three, had at least one spiritual experience in the home during the week, where you as a family, hey, let's pray for somebody, or hey, let's open up the Bible, or hey, why does God teach us this, or hey, what did you learn from the sermon today? At least one spiritual experience in the family. Number four, number, yeah, number four, um, let me get real close here, uh, they are entrusted with responsibility and ministry at an early age. Okay? Some of the kids in this church, you've got already got responsibility. You, some of you put out the signs. Some of you bring in the signs. Some of you help with the children's ministry. Great. When your kids serve, we don't want to wait till they grow up to serve. Amen? And then number five, they have at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. I, I'm very thankful. Just the other day, a man in Charles said, Hey, can we grab Isaiah and Caitlin and go shopping? I'm like, sure. <laughs> go ahead. Have them. And you know what? Isaiah and Caitlin come home and they talk about what just good people Amanda and Charles are so it's not just mom and dad or old-fashioned funny, fuddy-duddies the ablaws are fuddy-duddies too okay they don't even have kids and they're fuddy-duddies you know it's just when that's what church is about when people say I don't need a church do you realize what you're missing out on Do you know how many adopted grandparents are in this room here? Do you know how many adopted aunts and uncles and cousins are in this room, and they're all wanting to live for Jesus? So it's like, man, my parents aren't the only idiots. I guess everybody else is an idiot here at Revolution Church. Maybe it's not such a dumb idea after all. So these are what make your kids stay in the 25%. Ephesians 4 says fathers, and the word father here means progenitors. It means parents. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We discipline our kids, we instruct them, and we do it all in the name of the Lord. So God makes the family a big priority. And so you see the first half of the Mark 10 is marriage is a big priority. The second half is the family, children, and parents together are a big priority. Not something just that you throw away easily. So because our earthly family is a foretaste of our heavenly family, you see what we experience In your your home and in our church family, it's just a teeny tiny taste of what heaven is going to be like. And I just like what Jesus did here. He took them up in his arms, he blessed them, and he laid his hands on them. And I just, he did all that because later, he would spread out his arms for them. And instead of being blessed by his father, he'd receive the curse that you and I should have, and his hands would be nailed. I think Jesus was giving an opposite picture of the gospel right here with his children. He was loving them in this way with his arms and his hands so that later he could love them even more on the cross. Galatians 3 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He's blessing the children and then six months later he's receiving the curse for the children. For it is written, "Curses everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise through the Spirit through what? Through faith. Not through you being a good person, not through you keeping Ten Commandments, not through your baptism, but by you putting your faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross. And at the moment you do that, you're saved, you're born again. It says, but when the goodness, in Titus chapter 3, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Have you been washed? Have you been made new in Christ? I want want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And there there may be some of you who've heard this a hundred times, but it has never become personal. Maybe you've believed some of this trans information but you know now it's not the truth and maybe you, there's many other lies that you're believing and that one other lie maybe you don't need to be saved. If you've never been born again, you've never had a time and place when you've trusted Christ. I remember I was, I was nine years old. I went to vacation Bible school and I heard about Jesus Christ and why he died for me and for my sins and I asked him to become the Lord of my life and to save me and my life has been changed ever since You can experience that same change that Nathan talked about this morning that I experienced when I was nine and many of your family members here in church when they, they can point to a time and a place that they've been saved. Can you? If you cannot, maybe today is the day. You could ask Christ into your heart like this right now. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve punishment. I am so thankful that you died on that cross to take my punishment that I deserved. So, because you gave your life for me, I give my life to you. Everything I give it all. I repent of my sin, and I ask you to forgive it all. And I want you to be the Lord of my life from here on. And thank you for forgiving all my sins. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. If you if you made that decision, please let me know. We we want to welcome you to the family of God, and I want you to contact me to talk about the next steps. All right, we're going to do a question and answer session. Amanda, would you like to help me with that? All right. So, text in your questions if you haven't already. Um, you're welcome to. Um, you're welcome to uh, raise your hand and, and ask it that way, the old-fashioned way, if you want. And Amanda, get ready because there's a long one for you.
2: Right. Okay. <laughs> the Chosen season one, episode five, the wedding gift. The episode opens with the story of Jesus staying at the temple while his family travels home. Luke 2.42 states that he was 12, but the episode stated the year was 8 A.D. After this flashback, the episode stated that it was the year 26 A.D. during the wedding in Cana when Jesus began his ministry. But we all think this happened when Jesus was 30. Why the four-year discrepancy in the stated year in the episode?
0: Yeah. So when all this was happening, they don't have the, 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 the years numbered like we do. Okay. That came 1600 years later on, under uh, Bishop Gregory and it gave us the Gregorian calendar. And so Gregory went back and tried to re piece together history and counting everything back to zero when Jesus was born. So zero would be, so, um, So B.C. is before Christ. Don't buy into that B.C.E. junk. It's stupid. B.C. is before Christ. A.D. is not after death, by the way. People say that's wrong. It's Anno Domine, which means year of our Lord, the year Jesus was born. So zero was the year he was born, according to his calculations. But some historians say, wait a minute, Gregory did that based on this Herod ruling during this year, and Herod didn't rule during that year, so he got the wrong Herod, so he's four years off it was a different Herod four years later. But Gregory got that from Luke, and historians will say, well, Luke was wrong. I'm like, wait a minute, Luke's not wrong. Luke is writing under the inspiration of scripture. So I'm one of the few people who actually think this is the year 2022, and it's not four years off. It's not 2026, right? Subtract four. Um, Right, yeah. So I think that, now, I don't think it really matters as far as when Jesus is coming back, but When you see that, the numbers being off during The Chosen, it's because they're going with most historians who think that the Gregorian calendar is all four years.
2: While the Bible makes the truth clear, we are in the world in this moment and climate for a reason. How do we combat the lies of gender and sexuality while drawing in those who have been taken advantage of by it?
0: Wow, that's a great question. And the answer is love. Uh, We say as a church, worship God passionately, love people genuinely. The answer is love. Now, please do not mistake all of my heat during my sermon as targeted towards people. You'll never hear me use a slur or call them names or, or anything like that. I love them as people, okay? I don't think they're less human than I am. In fact, I think only by the grace of God was I saved at nine and spared a lot of this stuff. Um, so, love is the answer. In fact, if you will hear somebody out and hear their story, a lot of these people just want to be heard and and feel their pain because I believe most of them statistically speaking, have been abused as children and either have no dad or an abusive dad and The statistics prove that okay and that 's another statistic that 's suppressed okay, and they suppress the truth in unrighteous like like Paul prophesied that they would. Rick Warren was at a pastors conference in New York City and this pastors conference was being protested by gay men out front and they were you know calling them all kinds of names and you know bigots and homophobes and other things worse than that. And they were protesting. Well, during one of the breaks, Rick Warren came outside of a side entrance and just kind of walked up on the sidewalk and said, hey, what are, what are you doing here? And he said, well, we're protesting this really. He said, oh, really? He said, why are you doing that? And he said, because they have a lot." He said, really? He said, tell me more about that. And he came in and he asked the guy to sit down on a bench. And they sat down on a bench. He said, well, tell me your story. And the guy begins to break down in tears about it. what a rough life he's had. And now, just because he lives this way, these people hate him. And he's like, well, I don't think they hate you, I think they love you, but man, you've been through a lot. And he sympathized with the guy, and the guy—they became friends. And, and a month later, the guy got saved, all because Rick Warren was willing to just open up and listen to the guy. Okay, so you need to be willing to open and hear people's story. And and of course, Proverbs 18:13 says, "He that hears a matter before he that answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and a shame to him." You need to hear the whole story before you give them an answer why they're wrong. Hear the whole story and be sympathetic and listening. Okay.
2: How was Paul both a Jewish Pharisee and a Roman?
0: Cool. So Roman Roman citizenship is political. Being Jewish is ethnic. Okay. So you could be a Jew and have American citizenship, a Jew and have Greek citizenship, Roman citizenship. So he earned his citizenship. Um, and I don't remember how there's different theories, how some people think, cause you can inherit it from your parents. So if his dad was a Roman citizen, then he could have inherited it that way. But somehow he was given Roman citizenship. Not all Jews had that.
2: Good morning. My question is more a prayer request. If you can pray for my family, for health issues and for all of us to have strength, to keep looking to God for help and to keep loving God. And I thank God for all his blessings. God bless you all. Okay. Um, I think that's everything. think that's it all right no more
0: questions oh so real quick before you ask your question amanda would you pray for this family for us oh sure okay
2: Father, we just come to you right now, Father, knowing that you're a good God, knowing that you hear us, and we thank you, Lord, for you know the specifics of this request. We thank you, Father, for your will being done, Lord. Um, most importantly, if these people don't know you, Father, we ask that they you just reveal to them who you really are, Father, so they can be in relationship with you, because most importantly, if there isn't healing from these things, we ultimately are going to have to choose to where we're going to spend eternity, Lord. So we'd rather that they know you, but we ask for this healing for yes. them too, Lord, um, just to show how good you are. Thank you, Father, for hearing us. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for your will being done. Amen.
0: Amen. Charles, what's your question? Thank God. First of all, delivery. Thank you for helping things in the word again. Well, you're welcome. Have sense that. I have somewhat of a sense but I'm not gonna claim to be an expert but in most of the world this is this is not as big an issue as in America. This is this is being driven by liberal white men. That's the truth. Liberal white men are pushing this because of perversion and other things like that and they're indoctrinating a whole generation of younger people in the universities and so it's very sad. Uh, the hypocrisy of Disney is pushing this and wanting this taught in public schools of kindergarten and third grade Disney is expanding into 10 Arab nations where homosexuality is illegal. They want their money, but they're not telling those, those Arab nations, like Morocco, where you can get the death penalty for being gay, and, but Disney's pushing their agenda. They're, they're, Disney's wanting their money, and they're creating Disney products in all these can- countries where it's illegal. So they're major hypocrites. They're major hypocrites. So in other parts of the world, it's, it's, it's not as radical as it is here. But... Um, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. In fact, let's do that now. But let me just, I just want to emphasize this a lot. Go ahead and stand with me. Um, that don't let this sermon motivate you to have ammunition towards other people in an argument. That is not what this is about. This is to motivate you to love a lost and dying world, okay? So we, we want to fill this place up with lost people who, want, who can hear the gospel and join the family of God. Amen? All right.